Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Hi, this is the weekly roundup, all things affecting supply chains this week. Well, remember last week I reported the P&O story about the owners of P&O, DP World, they bought it back in 2019, and they sacked 800 seafarers in the United Kingdom. That was all the vessels sailing to and from the United Kingdom that uh, P&O has, and they replaced the labour force with untrained labour that uh, they paid below the minimum wage in the UK. So they, they lowered the labour cost to an average of £5.15 or £5.50 per hour, which is uh, significantly lower than the minimum wage, which, is, which isn't very much. Um, and this week, no less than the Prime Minister asked for the Chief Executive of P&O to resign. Well... It's a pretty bad affair, really. It's a bad state of affairs. And uh, Grant Shapps, who's the uh, transport minister in the UK, has also said that no ships sailing to or from the UK will have anybody paid below the minimum wage. Um, those are ships uh, essentially operating out of British ports. So uh, it's a pretty bad move on behalf of P&O. I mean, it's significant reputational damage for the company. The chief executive stood in front of a parliamentary committee and said he'd make the same decision again. I mean, that's really stupid. And uh, he also said that um, he broke the law. So, there we are. Uh, P&O has also looked in a battle with uh, the pension scheme, apparently, because they've got a number of ships guaranteeing the debt that they owe to the pension scheme, which is about £146 million. But apparently these ships are only worth about £45 million. So the assets uh, are significantly lower than the money that's owed. So that doesn't sound good either. Shanghai is in lockdown again with China's zero tolerance policy for COVID. There's an outbreak of Omicron and they've decided to lock down Shanghai once again. So there'll be nothing in or out, and of course that'll mean factory closures in that area and port closures, so transportation will be affected. And I noticed also today that um, oil prices on world markets have fallen as a result of the Shanghai closure, so they're expecting a drop in demand. I reported that the Office for Budget Responsibility in the United Kingdom had said that uh, Brexit would be responsible for a fall of about 4% over the next 15 years in productivity for the United Kingdom as a consequence of Brexit. Total imports and exports will be about 15% lower as a result. And the United Kingdom, despite the rhetoric, hasn't really struck any great trade deals internationally to replace what it's lost. So that'll be some significant loss and it will impact on the size of the UK economy over that period. (music) 
The Bureau for Economic Policy in the Netherlands, the CPB, said that world trade was likely to increase by 8.2% over the same period. So that makes the UK's position a significant fall. Another story caught my eye this week, and it's by Brett Matthews, and he's the editor of Apparel Insider. And it's about the San Francisco-based Sustainable Apparel Coalition and what he calls the love affair with polyester fibre. They have this rating scale called the HIG Material Sustainability Index, known as the MSI. And figures from that are showing that uh, polyester and its environmental impact has fallen from a 44 rating to 36, making it by far and away the most sustainable fibre on the planet. At the same time, they've attacked the silk industry and they've moved the impact per kilo from 681 to 1,086. Now, this is a very old index, this uh, this HIG index. I've looked at it over time and uh, it doesn't seem to be rational. It just seems to be a complete work of fiction. And I'm guessing that somebody needs to take a look at this. It's like creating performance measures with a known outcome that you want to achieve. Some might say it's possibly corrupt. It's certainly perverse. I'd welcome a response from Hig as to how they come to compile this index in this particular way. But there doesn't seem any rhyme or reason to it. Polyester was uh, noted as a problem a couple of Hig indexes ago, and there we are. It suddenly made a remarkable recovery. Now, what's changed? If anyone from Hig listens to this, perhaps they'd get in touch and just let me know how this index is put together and what the rhyme and reason could possibly be. Look forward to it. Apparently, according to one textile expert, Veronica Bates-Cassatley, she comments that uh, it's a cradle-to-grave only measure and the index ignores the appalling environmental impact of polyester microfiber shedding. Now, isn't that a big problem with polyester? All these microplastics getting into the rivers and the oceans as people dispose of clothing made from that polyester? Well, perhaps Hig has some new science to uh, put forward on this one. Now, the Bennett Institute for Public Policy at Cambridge University produced a working paper this week by Professor Diane Coyle and Dr. Jen Chung Mi, diagnosing the UK productivity slowdown, which sectors matter and why. Now, I've got a lot of time for uh, Professor Coyle. She's very well informed and she has important things to say. So it's well worth a read, this paper. And it looked at the slowdown in the UK productivity from 2008, examining labour productivity and looking at the reallocation of labour between sectors makes uh, little contribution. The main contributor to the slowdown, to the aggregate slowdown, comes from within manufacturing, information and communication, as well as agriculture and finance. So that might be a little surprising to some people. And disaggregating that further, the contributions are attributable to transport equipment, mainly motor vehicles, pharmaceuticals in manufacturing, and computer software and telecommunications in information. And the paradox, I suppose, which they point out to, is... uh Now, those sectors are generally considered to be strengths of the UK economy. Comparing the UK with three advanced economies, the US, France and Japan, transport equipment and pharmaceuticals are also among the main contributors to their productivity slowdowns. So, interesting. So, I think that's well worth a read. Always something interesting to say, Professor Diane Coyle.
ever greener back in the news with a ship stranded in Baltimore. I think it's the Ever Forward that's stranded. And they've employed the same salvage team, Don John Smith, that uh, freed up the Ever Given in the Suez Canal in March last year. So it's a bit unfortunate that this has happened yet again with one of the ships stranded. This ship is apparently 334 metres long with 1,096 feet. And it was scheduled to call in at the Virginia International Gateway Terminal on March 23rd, but it's obviously been delayed. So uh, Evergiven, sorry, Evergreen, if you recall, is a Taiwanese-based company, and they blocked the Suez Canal this time last year. The ship hasn't stopped traffic in and out of uh, Chesapeake Bay near Baltimore, but it is stuck, and they're weighing up the best way to actually free the ship. This same company, this Don John Smith, the salvage company, is is the same company that uh, helped out with the, the vessel that caught fire with those luxury cars on board, which I talked about in the previous Supply Chain News Roundup. So, let's hope this one gets sorted out soon. This is a Hong Kong-flagged ship. It was stranded after departing Baltimore, and it hasn't moved since. Scania Group reported this week that they've produced a 74-tonne electrified truck, and it will be delivered to a mining company, Belyden, in the spring of 2022. So that's nearly here, isn't it? The truck will be driven by haulage company Renfers Ackery AB on a 30-kilometre return trip route on public roads in northern Sweden. So that's a fantastic development, isn't it, for a really heavy truck like that to be uh, battery-operated. And perhaps that's the future. I suppose it depends on the reliability of the battery. Sometimes these things can work well at the start, but they uh, have yet to be tested in the real fire of uh, doing the job, haven't they? But no doubt they'll get better over time. So look forward to the further developments. There's a lot of talk this week about the deglobalization effect of all the challenges facing supply chains around the world and the disruptions we've had in the past couple of years, but more significantly with the uh, impact of the sanctions against Russia with the war in Ukraine. And There are lots of pressures being experienced by all kinds of different supply chains as a consequence of port disruption, sea disruption, and the impact of the sanctions. So we'll have to keep watching that space to see if uh, things are likely to change anytime soon. Well, that's it for the Supply Chain News Roundup this week. I'll be back next week with another roundup. In the meantime, have a good week, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. Don't forget to tune in to the Chain Reaction podcast for the midweek edition later in the week. And also, if you've missed any of the editions recently, catch up on your favourite podcast platform and give a listen. Well, that's it for the Chain Reaction Podcast for this week. I'm Tommy Hines. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.
listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, presented and produced by Tony Hans. Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains, and we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon, all things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.